Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of A Conversation with Antoine. Uh, <laughs> this episode, um, we're going to be talking with Eric Lottie. Um, I'm hoping that's how I say his name. Lottie? Eric Lottie. I said Lottie. Lottie. Anyway, um, he is the author of the Hinchman series, uh, The Clockman, the, the Complete Sexton. Greetings from Sunny Aluna, Roadside Attractions. Um, he's also got a great blog uh, with a lot of content. Um, I was just amazed um, by how much content he had in this blog compared to other blogs I've seen. And of course, I, can, I say that because um, my blog is lacking <laughs> with content. So uh, maybe comparing him to mine, of course, is going to be a lot for him. Um, but, uh, you know, he talks about politics, he talks about um, writing, he talks about martial arts, um, he has, you know, his page with all his books, uh, with details about the story, uh, yeah. so oh, please take a look, um, www.ericlatte.com. Eventually, I'm going to start scripting my introductions, because sometimes I'm all over the place, but um, please enjoy this uh, conversation with Antoine, guest star, Eric Lati. Eric, can you hear me? Hey there, can you see me okay? I can hear you fantastic, I can, I can see you and hear you fantastically. Excellent. Good to know. Excellent, indeed. I um, I'm looking forward to this interview because um, I was um, did a little research on you, and um, I was just reading um, some of the uh, henchmen <laughs> right before this interview because I like to you know always get a little bit more. So um, I'm I'm really going to enjoy this because uh, I learning about you on your website. There's a lot more to you than just a writer. <laughs> I've done a little but, bit of everything at some point or another. Yes, yes. Um, and I'm just going to kind of get started with this. Um, first off, I like the premise of Henchman. And one of my first questions was, was that somewhat slightly inspired by Suicide Squad? Or was this like its own thing? Uh, it actually, I wrote that long before I even realized Suicide Squad was a thing. Uh, Henchman was back in 2013, and I just had this idea, you know, every time you see a supervillain, they always hire the dumbest people to work for them. They're just completely disposable. But I thought, you know, that's stupid. Why, if you're trying to do something big, would you hire idiots to work for you? So, you know, the whole idea of, you know, somebody who was trying to do a big, bad thing would probably hire the best people she could come across. And so that's where that whole thing came from. And also the idea that, uh, unfortunately, in comics, uh, female supervillains always get short shrift. It's like, oh, we're going to go out and steal some jewelry. Okay, that's fairly pedestrian. Let's let's try something supervillainy here and see what we can come up with. Yeah, I like that. And she's um, she also doesn't fit what I was expecting, because usually when they portray women... There's these size uh, like dainty women that are still somehow super powered, but you have right. this seven foot woman. 
big old Valkyrie out there just slamming stuff around. It almost kind of makes you wonder why she would even need help, but you know, it's a big task. Yeah, yeah, and um, I'm I'm still kind of uh, getting into it, um, so I'm not quite there yet. So if you don't mind, kind of cluing me in, people that haven't read um, Nemesis, unless it was a henchman brain. Um, <laughs> what what's your goal, or at least how much are you willing to say without spoiling it? And of course, you've written it well, but what's, what's uh, your goal? the goal of the uh, the bad guys, which are really the protagonists and henchmen is they, they wanted to kill everybody in Congress. And before I, before that comes off too bad, remember this was written in 2013 and I was sitting there, I've got this idea of like, Hey, how about a, you know, a really cool team of people that are really quite capable, but I needed them to be able to do something that was big and it was mean, but it was something that a lot of people would look at and go, well, all right, well, maybe that's not the, worst idea in the world so they had to be somewhat relatable and so if you know she was trying to take over the world that would be kind of silly nobody wants to take over the world it'd be too much work to maintain it but at the time uh in 2013 i think i started it in june or july of 2013 and we had just gone through yet another uh budget crisis and the uh the federal government we had another government shut down and uh i was sitting there trying to figure out what these guys needed to do and there was a senator uh, during the budget shutdown, or the government shutdown, out in front of the World War II Memorial um, out in Washington, D.C. And the park rangers that were running the World War II Memorial had kept it open for all of the World War II veterans that wanted to come in and see it. And so he's out there pitching a fit and saying, well, you know, these guys get to see it. How about these other people over here? And it's like, dude, you were part of the party that shut down the government. You don't really have a right to come in here and complain that the park rangers are allowing World War II veterans into a World War II memorial to do stuff. And the rest of the crowd, uh, I guess, just started tearing into him. So that that was the genesis. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, everybody's pissed off at Congress right now. And so that's where I came up with the idea of let's, let's just wipe out Congress. You know, it's funny because um, I hate to get too political because um, I'm more of a moderate. I have... Um, I have very, I don't really have a side. And I think that's probably the best way to be if you don't like become too strict on one side because you start right. to uh, contradict yourself. But um, <laughs> when you said that, I was like, well, worse things could happen. <laughs> yep. But yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting time and I was not working for the government at that point. I've been a government contractor off and on for many years now. And so I saw that shut down. And a lot of my friends that were working for the government were just like, oh, God, we're going to be out of our jobs for however long this lasts. And fortunately, it was over fairly quickly. But I was just sitting back thinking, man, if I was in my previous job, I would be dropping rocks right now, wondering if I had a job tomorrow. So, you know, the, the ripple effect from all of that stuff is kind of crazy. You know, I really look forward to um, digging more into it because I like the um, the line you have where you say, doing the wrong thing for all the right reasons. Yeah. And I think that's spectacular. Um, and I wish that more villains were written with like that level-headedness where they're not completely mad. There's this, um, there's a history to them and there's, depth to what they want to do and they really want to do the right thing um and but but of course it's not the right thing but 
that the best villains I think are written with intentions that are that are spectacular. Right. I was I was trying to get around get away from the traditional let's take over the world or let's write our name on the moon or something stupid like that and just say, you know, this is a really terrible thing, but they've got good reasons for doing it. There's better ways of getting about it, but that wouldn't make a very interesting book about, you know, voting blocks and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, I've noticed you also have um, a variety of other books. Um, of course, you got the Henchman series, but I see The Clockman, um, The Complete Saxton, that's part of the, that's kind of connected to the Henchman series. Um, Greetings from Sunny and Luna, Roadside Attractions, uh, Better Than Dead. Um, what um, what are your genres? Like, um, what what do you focus on primarily? I've focused mostly in the urban fantasy realm, just because I like the idea that, you know, you open the wrong door and you find something magical sitting behind it. But other than that, you know, it's a perfectly normal world, but there are vampires running nightclubs or something like that. And I think that's just kind of a cool idea of how do you, how do we handle the schism of the normal and the abnormal or the paranormal? these things have to at some point or another fit together and it makes for kind of an interesting world to to figure that out well you know with henchmen you know how do you handle a seven foot tall valkyrie wandering around trying to bring down the government well it's outlandish and it probably wouldn't happen because as far as i know valkyries aren't real but if it would you know maybe she would go down that exact same path maybe she would look at it and say this is nuts we're just going to tear this whole thing down and start all over again yeah yeah and there wouldn't be so, um, there's always that subtlety. I think when you're out of the norm, you recognize that almost immediately. And there's that, that tactical, like, I have to do all of this and I have to be in the shadows just enough to get this accomplished, which is why she needs to use the, utilize the henchman so that all the attention isn't immediately on her like, like a tank in a video game. <laughs> And, you know, I guess if you were to look at it from a somewhat realistic point of view, she's incredibly strong, incredibly tough, but one person against everybody in the United States, that's not a winning battle. I don't, I don't care how tough you are. You're going to get completely outnumbered pretty quickly. Absolutely. Uh, talking about tough, uh, you're a martial artist. And yes, I, I am so fascinated by that because um, I've always had an interest in doing it, but I never put the time into it. Um, 25 years that's that's amazing and i'm kind of curious how you started on that uh i started because in college we had to have pe credits which i always thought was somewhat silly for college degrees but we had to have two pe credits and one of them was bowling which i still actually really enjoy and then the other one was a class called personal defense and it turned out it was actually not a pure personal defense class it was a uh, the biology teacher, one of the biology teachers at the school, had lived in Okinawa for a number of years, and he learned an obscure little Okinawan system called Shodinji-do. And when he came to Portales, he brought that all with him and decided, hey, maybe I'll start teaching this. And so I walked into a personal defense class, not entirely certain what I was going to be getting into, and wound up getting my, my very first, I think it was a green belt in Shodinji-do, working out in one of the gyms at the NMU campus. So, I mean, wow. And then from there, you know, I kind of dropped out of that for a while. And uh, when I moved to Albuquerque, 
we moved and we were right down the street and I kept driving by this school and just said karate, karate, karate. So one day I was like, you know what, maybe I should pick this back up again. And so I wandered over there and I met Phil Gilbert, who was the, the head of the school and second in charge of the entire system and said, you know, what do you teach? And he's like, well, we teach Kenpo. Let me give you your first lesson. And it took off from there. So that was in 1999. And I stuck with it until right around 2005. I got a second degree black belt and I just kind of faded out for a little while. So my son had just been born and um, I came back when he was about five and I taught for a while. And then Phil shut down his school and we moved over to one of the other schools and we've been going ever since. So that's actually where my son needs to be in about an hour. He's got a uh, Saturday morning black belt prep class that they're kind of alternating back and forth. So his is this weekend, mine is next weekend, and we'll both be testing for third degree black belts in American Kenpo in July, end of July. That is, that is just sick. Uh, that, is, that is so cool. I, I saw on the blog too that you're, uh, I guess when you posted it, he was taking black belt one. I'm just like this is this kid is hardcore. <laughs> no one's gonna come across him, and if they do, it's gonna be a very bad situation. He's huge too. He's you know only 14, but he's taller than I am, and he's gotten really good. It's hard to score on him anymore. So you can throw a punch, and he can just slap it out of the way. Uh, so he's he's gotten pretty good at it. He's really enjoying himself. Yeah, it's gonna be like a great sense of pride uh, raising your kid and seeing them develop and be so good at that. Um, and I'm sure you were part of the whole training process. That's got to be exciting to see. I um, That's just, that's just so, so neat. Um, so with your writing, um, and I was, that was one of my questions, how, how in depth would you say you get with the writing scenes? Because I imagine if I knew martial arts the way you do, I would, I would go into details and I would like have like him thinking about his process and how he's going to swing a punch and respond. Like, how, how deep do you go into it when you're writing a scene? Uh, the, the fight scenes in Henchmen were probably some of the deeper ones. And I actually kind of had to pull some of it back because when you start studying something for a while, you get really intimately involved in it. You have a pretty good understanding of what to expect, but you're still stuck in that little world. And the more detail you go into, the more you'll start to lose people. And so, you know, it would be real easy to say, oh, I did this thing. Well, the average person isn't necessarily going to know what Thundering Hammers does. It's kind of unique to Kenpo. But you don't want to get too into it because then it gets kind of boring. Uh, save that if they ever make a movie, they can go as deep into it as they want to. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I feel like um, if, like, Thundering Hammer, that sounds, that sounds awesome, by the way. Like, just hearing the ring hammer, I want to learn how to do it and then do it and be like screaming, thundering hammer. <laughs> it's like a fairly simple technique. It's a traditional Kempo one. There are plenty of YouTube videos on how to do it. It's pretty mean, though. I mean, it's a shot to the groin, a shot to the kidney, a shot to the back of the head, another shot to the back of the head, and then a palm to the face. So it's, it's mean. I don't know that I would necessarily want to do that on someone, but it, it would probably end the fight pretty quickly. Yeah, I, it sounds like it. I mean, the shots are growing like, right away I feel like it's in the conflict. But after that, like the kid, oh my goodness, that's, that's like a finishing move. I feel like it's like a Mortal Kombat, like finish you on Thundering Hammer battle. Fatality. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, 
That's so neat. Because um, I'm already getting ideas, just you saying that, um, how you could apply, even the names of these moves sound like they could be like, um, if you were writing fantasy, like some sort of like special spell or some sort of something that they would learn and apply it in battle um, mm -hmm. with like the actual element involved in it. Right, that was what Greetings from Sunny Aluna was supposed to be about. That was kind of my love letter to Kung Fu Theater, like the old shows. I grew up watching that on uh, Saturday mornings at you know 7 a.m. And you'd see all these people jumping through the air and throwing things around and cutting people's heads off and doing all this you know, magical things. Uh, real martial arts isn't quite like that, but it does have its magical, well, it has its very realistic elements that you have to understand how to make work, but Kung Fu, Kung Fu Theater just threw all that out. And, you know, they could fly and they could do all this other fun stuff. So uh, Greetings was really my, my love letter to that. And it never really caught on. I think like 10 people in the world have read it, but it was kind of a fun book. Yeah, I um, tell me more about that. Greetings from Sunny Luna, because I saw that, but I didn't. So, so what exactly is it again? Uh, that is a follow-on. You talked about the Clockman and other mm -hmm. stories, and some of that ties back into the henchman world. But the primary story of the Clockman was basically about this guy who lives on a planet called Aluna, and they use magic basically to power their stoves, and you know, it's basically electricity, and so. The one person that's really in charge of regulating all of it is called the Clockman, because he clocks the uh, magic as it goes in and out. And so, by turns, uh, the Clockman has essentially turned himself into uh, how do I put this? Uh, like a steampunk android, just put little bits and pieces of himself into it, and he's sort of taken over the uh, the magical world and corrupted the way the magic is working. So. Uh, the hero has to go in and they get into a, a nice big kung fu battle at the end. But uh, I kind of looked at that and I said, you know, there's a lot more that could go on in Aluna. And so if you just like stop or walk straight into Greetings, there's a lot of backstory that didn't get covered. And so if you haven't read The Clockman, some of Greetings doesn't make sense, which is a failure on my part. And I really probably should have just put the two of them together and called it good. But <clears throat> Greetings is everything that happens after that. And it follows around a boy that got sucked out of the uh, earth onto a Luna. And it was essentially because the people that were in charge over there wanted his chaotic earth magic. And uh, he had some native ability to do it that most people in a Luna have lost. And it's a very different kind of magic. So they, they wanted to drag him over there. He winds up in the, the company of a Kung Fu master who they go out and he goes out and fights every night because that's what he does. I always kind of figured Kung Fu masters would just go out and do Kung Fu. And he also finds out, finds his way into uh, the company of the guy that was from the original Clockman. And by, by turns, they wind up getting sucked into a plot to uh, create a magical drug that addicts the entire planet. And they have to figure out how that all happened and how to break it all down. And so it goes into, you know, kind of the nitty gritty underworld of Luna. So rather than, you know, the bright spires of the fantasy world, they're underneath docks and they're in dive bars and they're having fights with random people. And at one point, you know, the Kung Fu master is looking at it and saying, this is crazy. And so he puts on essentially a superhero costume and he goes in and he just slaughters a bar just really for the sake of slaughtering a bar. And it doesn't really accomplish anything, but it starts to show his his mental aspect of he's sort of getting corrupted. 
and they have to pull everything back and put it all back together. And there's a big fight with a dragon at the end. And it's actually, it's stupid fun. I mean, you know, don't, don't read it expecting that you're going to get some brilliant idea of how the world works. Just more that, well, here's a fantasy world where it's not all pretty and it's not big white spires. And this is people living down in the muck. I mean, those are some of the best stories, I think. There's um, everything looking pretty is kind of like how they begin the story. Right. And then it's like the whole, like, how things were, this happens. That's how a lot of stories go. I like that nitty-gritty, that, you know, like, like the dive bars, like you said. That's, that's average reality for a lot of people. Unless you're, like, in a big, beautiful city, you're going to be, like, it, even the nose, they have like the underbelly of the city, and it's right. nice to go inside there and see that work. Um, and I also, I have very different ideas as to how superheroes should work, as opposed to other people. So the idea of the kung fu guy going in there and slaughtering the entire bar, that to me is like, sometimes you got to get the dirty work done to get rid of the bad guys. Um, right. And yeah, he has uh, he has zero compunction about doing it. And here's another little aspect of Kenpo that kind of pops in there. The opening movements that he does to take out the first three or four people are straight out of a kata we call mass attack. And then, you know, everything kind of goes haywire after that. But, you know, he does the, the perfect strikes and takes down some people and then everything just kind of goes to hell around him. But he does win and, you know, he, he kills everybody in the bar and walks away. Wow, that's, see, I almost thought, like, it'll be nice to see that visualized. Um, and of course, every writer, um, actually, well, I can't say that, maybe not every writer, but most writers would love to have their work actualized into, like, a series or something. Um, one of the questions I have, because you, with your specialty in martial arts, you could do choreography, you could write everything out. Um, would you be like if you were approached who would you want to approach you if you could visualize and make it come into action like hbo plus hulu netflix like uh you know the dream of course of most writers was originally that it was going to get made into a movie and i think everybody who's seen a movie based on a book realizes that for the most part they lose the context because there's so much that goes on in books you can't really squeeze it into uh, a 90 minute movie or a two hour long movie um, of course like the the bull goose loony on that one is the dark tower which was a series of what 10 books i mean it was 10,000 words long or uh, 10,000 pages long and they turned it into like an hour and 20 minute movie and it's like there were a few other things that happened in here to kind of drive the story along but what i would love to see is really any miniseries um you know i think what they did with uh Altered Carbon was brilliant. I mean, it changed a lot from the book, but they did a, a very good job of being able to expand that world and explore that world. I wasn't a huge fan of the second uh, season of it, but if you were to try and take that story and put it into a single two-hour movie, you would have lost so much about what was going on in the planet because there were a lot of little interwoven parts of that story. So yeah, I would love to see a, a mini series done. I think that would be an awful lot of fun. Yeah, I was just thinking, um, I'm a big fan of the uh, Netflix uh, Daredevil series. And oh. so, like, yeah, seeing, seeing how they did so well with 
that series on like your story, the martial arts aspect of it, that would be like great for a Netflix series because you can you can take your time telling the story. It's not rushed. It's not in one little hour and a half. And right. I'm so glad you mentioned the Dark Tower because I feel like it should be like a big label, like never do this. Like, <laughs> it should have just said based very loosely on the story by Stephen King. Yes. Yes. And it I feel it deserves so much better. I really it breaks my heart. I, I feel oh, no. sorry for Stephen. And especially, you know, the the two actors, Idris Elba is amazing. And he was such a good cast as uh, the gunslinger. And then Matthew McConaughey is the, the villain. I can't remember his name. Both just amazing actors. And they got completely short shrifted by like, it was essentially a commercial for another movie. And I was so disappointed when I watched it. Yes, yes. Had they played it out, even if they made it like a um, like an HBO thing, um, but because of the money into it. Um, but that really could be like, I don't know, maybe like a four four seasons worth of, um, you know, of, of, of actual good story. And, oh, yeah. And that, yeah. The story was great, you know, the way King wrote it. And I, I have to admit, I never actually did finish the entire series, but I got like three or four books into it. And it was so good. The, just the rich world building and the back and forth and, you know, villains that you love to hate, but you can kind of understand where they're coming from and a good guy who's not really perfect. It was so much good, so much good stuff in there. And they just kind of just threw it all out. And, you know, at the very least you see, at the very worst, you see uh, McConaughey suffocating somebody and uh, suffocating a few people. And then that was it. You don't have really any idea of what he was doing or why he was doing it, but it was just, I'm the bad guy. So I'm going to do bad things. Yeah. Yeah. You have the man in black and, I think he was uh, he, like he had like a number of names like um, right Martin, Walk. yeah. Oh, it's been so long. I need to sit down and reread those at some point. <laughs> it's funny you say that because um, my my first guest Bill, we were having a similar conversation because um, it's been a while since I've read too, um, and I have a list of books like a mile long, but I'm willing to actually sit those aside and go back and read it because it was that good of a series. Right. It's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the series are, it's, a, it's an amazing change for the visual art. And, and I think that that's a, a well-needed change. Rather than trying to say, no, you have to go to a theater and it's going to be two hours long and yada, yada. Spread it out. Let people have breathing room and have fun with it and explore it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the... Um... One of the things that's really changed um, with the whole 2020 thing, um, I mean, I love movie theaters. I like to go, I like the experience, but there's something very different about having all these streaming services. Um, and you're right, it, it gives us a lot more time. And I feel like maybe the way to kind of compromise to let theaters still get their money and the series still operate as if they have a movie that's kind of like the beginning of the series uh, or in the middle of a series or the end of the series. That way you can have, you know, if, if you can write a good beginning, then people are hooked 
and they go right to watch it. If you write a great middle story, people will like they'll have to go see the series up to that point, and then they watch the movie, then they're excited for the rest. Or right. you'll have that different fan base that's they they read all this or they see this whole story and they have to see the end, and they're like, okay, I'm going to the theater. I gotta watch how this how this comes goes out. So they can they can kind of play with it. I feel like um, to where the series, you know, both the streaming services and the theaters still get their money. Right. And I think Marvel has started doing that and to a much lesser extent, uh, the original Clone Wars series from Star Wars did a really great job of building that whole world of uh, Anakin is a Jedi to Anakin Falls. And, you know, the movies, they condensed all of that into like three hours and it's like, who the hell are these people and where did they come from? But if you watch the series, it was brilliant storytelling. And they probably should have ditched those first three movies and just made it this animated series. And then you've got the middle three. And then let's just pretend that the last three really didn't happen because those were not good. But Marvel's doing the same thing. You know, you see a more branch off with uh, WandaVision, which was a really cool story about Wanda. Uh, I haven't started watching Loki yet, but I've, I've heard mixed reviews of it. But it allows them to expand some of the main stories that will be in, in the movie theaters. Yeah, that's um, they they've done it so well. They're doing things right, and right. I'm impressed. They, you know, now of course you're gonna have people that want to copy what they did, um, and I think that's more good than bad because if someone's doing it right, you can imitate and then improve, as opposed right. to saying, well, we're gonna let them just keep doing this and keep doing what we've been doing, and it's just. Continue rubbish, uh, <laughs> um, and so yes. And I have watched the um, the most recent episode of Loki. Um, I enjoyed it. I okay. um, I feel like there is a little more comedy than the story, but meaning it's the first episode, and we don't really see much of Loki outside of like his interactions with Thor, and he's usually pretty funny as a guy anyway. So this is about. Um, I think they're just trying to show him as a person who um, they're trying to bridge the evolution between um, where he was um, from where he was pulled out of time versus where he ended up at the end of his story and kind of trying to make him who that last character was before he died in front of Thor. Kind right. of, I feel like that episode was determining who is he going to be? Who is the real Loki behind, behind all his actions? And so I think it's it's worthwhile to watch it. Um, and again, I liked WandaVision. I liked um, the Falcon and Winter Soldier, great series. Yeah, like, like that's a platform to do if you're going right. to do a series or a or franchise. They're doing a great and it, it plays so nicely into comic books because, you know, throughout throughout the decades that they've been around, they do those little winding stories. And some of it doesn't translate nicely into a, a single, here's your sit down, two, two and a half hour long story. So, I mean, the fact that they're embracing it is a really good thing. Completely agree. Completely agree. Um, and that's, um, I ask writers this question often. If you have the option 
to write for a franchise or a series or anything like that or a TV show, what would you want to write? Like what what do like your dream job in writing? Uh, well, actually, my dream job is really writing for myself. But if I were to pick up an existing series, uh, I'd love to write for Rick and Morty. But I don't think that there's any chance of that ever happening. I still think that show is hilarious, irreverent, and everything that science fiction really should be. Um, any of the comic stories, I mean, you can pick up any one of them, and it would probably not be that difficult to write them for the screen because all of those stories are already out there. And so you have to pick and choose them. And I would actually have to learn how to write a screenplay, but it couldn't be that terribly difficult. I wouldn't think so. It would, I feel like from what I've been told, um, cause I was, I was talking to someone that was into it. Uh, one page, uh, it can't last longer than a minute as in like, uh, when you're writing the dialogue and you have all the actions, it has to fit like uh, it can't be too much. It, it can't. It can't. So we have to like gauge how you're writing the scene and how you're writing the page so that um, everything that goes in that page can't be more than a minute. Otherwise, you're kind of rushing it. Um, that's from what that person, one person, said to me. Um, uh, but I, I guess I'd be interested in trying. If 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 I was approached to make one of my stories. Um, a series or a movie, um, I would want to give it a shot because I wouldn't feel comfortable with it in anyone's hands. Because, like you said before, um, once it was put in someone else's hands, they they wreck a story. They have yeah. their own. <laughs> they cut it to pieces, and you're you're left with um, you don't want a dark tower <laughs> like that. Oh. <laughs> so um. Another question I commonly ask writers, um, Panzer or Plotter? Um, because, you know, there's benefits to both or somewhere in the middle when you're writing your stories. I am primarily a Panzer. Uh, I've got a pretty good idea of how I want a story to start and kind of an idea of how I want it to end. Uh, I actually surprised myself in Henchman because I got back to the ending and I was like, oh, that's why I did all of this. And it finally, you know, weaves together at the very end. But yeah, I very much just, I'll have a, a rough idea of what's going on and sit down and start writing and see where it takes me. Um, I'm working on one now called Occultation, which is my first sci-fi story. And I just had this idea of, all right, so this guy wakes up in uh, a woman's body and she's a hacker and she had deleted herself and he's got to find out why. And so it's all set in uh, outer space off of, you know, this what they think is a space station orbiting just a dead planetoid that keeps sending out radio signals, you know, regularly, I think it's every 30 minutes or every two hours or whatever I set it to. And so it's kind of a mystery, but it's got you know, virtual reality. It's got aliens and it's got, you know, how does he navigate her world, not knowing what she knows and hoping that, you know, the, the right things are revealed that he can figure out what's going on. Holy cow. That was quite a premise. I mean, that, waking up in a woman's body for one thing, I feel like that in itself is like a chapter long, um, and it probably goes to some very inappropriate places, <laughs> but I just can't imagine waking up in a woman's body, and that's, so that's, how much do you play with that, how much did you play with that? Uh, it would, 
it's there's a little bit of it in there i think it would be too easy to take that into places that i don't really want to go with the story but i mean there are there is a little bit of like oh my god how do i deal with this and so uh i need to get it all done and uh find some of my female friends on twitter and be like tell me what i did wrong here so we've been some friends there and figure that out but i didn't want it to become uh too detailed again about like these are all the little things that would be problems for a guy suddenly having to deal with a completely different body yeah like the everyday issues like like uh wearing a bra like you know every woman says like it's not as great as it sounds at the end of the day they're like there's hurt and it's digging in their skin and they're not wearing the right one and they gotta rip it off to get sweaty and i'm sure like your character completely um, takes away the romanticization of half the things men see from the other side. Yeah, that's one of the things, you know, try and make it as, as realistic as possible, I guess. Yes, yes, I like that. I like that. Um, I saw on your blog a quote, and I wanted to bring it to your attention because um, I wanted to read this and then reference another um, blog post you wrote. Um, it says, if you've ever written any amount of time, well, sorry, if you ever spent any amount of time around martial artists, you know we're fantastically egotistical, very dogmatic, and prone to pointing out all the flaws in every system but our own. Um, I like that. Uh, one thing because it sounds like writers. <laughs> yeah, there's, I imagine, some crossover there, but yeah, martial artists are, they're an interesting group. Uh, let's just put it that way. And uh, there is a huge, huge amount of ego that comes out of it. Some of it's deserved. Most of it's really not. I mean, one of the things that you're supposed to do as a martial artist as you progress is lose your ego. And some people just get more and more ego. But, uh, you know, it is kind of a running joke. No matter what your system is, you will say that the rest of them are terrible. And so in Kempo, you know, we tend to make fun of Taekwondo. Uh, I'm sure Taekwondo makes fun of everybody else. The MMA people make fun of everyone else. So it's just, it's just how it is. Yeah, yeah. And the same thing with writers. Um, uh, I'm going to mention a couple of things I also saw from your blog, because you were talking about how um, Stephen King says no adverbs versus adjectives. And uh, sorry, no, ad no adverbs or adjectives. And just, you know, some people say, like, don't use said, um, he said, she said, uh, um, I mean, no, sorry, exclusively use, he said, she said, don't use, like, um, they nodded or they laughed or all that, you know, other. And so I feel like um, I love that blog because it communicates um, the variety in writing styles and how your style isn't the only style or isn't the best style, and we should be fluid and open to um, writing our way. You know, right. you know you're, you're the only one writing your story. Um, you're the only one that's telling it. You're the only one that can tell the story the way it's meant to be told, because every story comes to us is unique, and it's beautiful when it maintains that uniqueness. And so I liked, um, I liked that blog you wrote where you, where you kind of speak to something I see a lot in, in writer Twitter feeds. Um, and they're always asking these questions about what's okay? What am I allowed to do? Um, is this still not okay or can I do it? Um, and I appreciate that. Um, 
and even reading Hinchman, um, when I first started reading it, I backed up a little bit. So I was like, wait a second, this isn't what I'm used to reading because you didn't go straight with the third person, you know, storytelling with the past tense. You were like first person, present tense. And so I adjusted it for just a second. And then I'm like, okay, I'm good. And then I got into it and I really started liking it. And I really like your style. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Hinchman was first person present. And honestly, I think if I had it to do over again, knowing how big the story is going to get, I don't know that I would have stuck with that idea. But there's an immediacy to first person present that is like, this is you telling this story, you're sitting in a bar, you have no idea how it's going to end. Because the thing with the, the past tense is, there's this little th tickle in the back of your head that says, well, whoever it is must have survived because they're telling the story. Right. And uh, one of the things I was toying with is just ending the, the book mid-sentence, just boom. Everybody died. And obviously that didn't happen because uh, there's two more books and there's a third one that I do need to, or a fourth one that I do need to finish. But I, I liked the immediacy of, you know, you're stuck in the middle of the story and everything's going to hell and all of a sudden, poof, done. Almost like the ending of Sopranos. Huh. I mean, now that you've said it, if it happens, you're kind of like, I'm like I saw that coming. <laughs> it doesn't actually happen. That was an original plot line. Yeah, well, the plot lines evolve, and I like that part of writing too, because um, when I was writing my first book, the, the Catalyst, the plot dramatically changed when I fell in love with one of my main characters and I just couldn't let this character go. So I get that, you know, you have to set trajectory and you're just like, no. Um, I do like that idea though, that you you got it from their point of view and it just cuts because that's life. You know, right. we, we never really know when that moment's going to happen or it's just like you're doing your thing, then X. Um, so I, I hope I get to see that played out. Maybe not with this story, but another one where we can kind of, you know, where it's not like an extending series, but like a single book. You cut it and you just kind of leave us like with that with that pain feeling like oh, that's it. He's it's done. He's dead. Like and that's it. Like that, that didn't work. All those pages I just read and the whole thing just poof, gone. Kind of mean. I'm sure I get some complaints about it, but it would be kind of an interesting way to enter and a story. Yeah, because it would really kind of make us face the reality of our own mortality. Mm -hmm. And like, this is the end of the story and it doesn't always have like this clean, polished end with everyone getting closure. <laughs> Sometimes it's just ugly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I... Um, Again, I um, was going to say I really liked seeing your unique, um, your, your unique take on both writing, and and seeing you actualize it uh, in your book. Um, huh. So, uh, what are you reading right now? I am reading uh, one of DM Shepard's books. Uh, she's a friend of mine from Twitter. She wrote a sequel to The Darklands, which is a horror story that takes place up in Alaska. And so she lives up there, she's done a ton of research and she's got this just beautifully, de richly detailed uh, world that she's got evil living in. And so uh, I'm 
reading up the second one and it's it's a lot of fun it would make an awesome horror movie nice nice i um i don't do well with horror i uh i i i i, I can respect it mm -hmm. um, but it's uh it doesn't work for me i'm a very spiritual person mm -hmm. and once they start opening those doors i I have experiences that I would rather not repeat. Right. So, I was playing, but I, I think that's great. Um, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, that sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. Um, so last year was a crazy year. How did it impact you and your writing? Uh, you know, really nothing changed except I stayed home a lot more. Uh, I was out on out at work. Uh, what was it? Late March, mid March of last year, when everything uh, came in, and somebody walked into the office, and I work at the, the local Air Force base. And he looked at me for a second. He said, "You're not supposed to be here." And I said, "What?" And uh, they sent us home, and we did not get to go back in, even really part time, until October. And uh, then it shut back down again, and now we're kind of getting back into it. Uh, I'm actually pushing for as much remote work as possible because I, I found that, you know, I've got programs that I'm writing. I can write that from anywhere and I've got servers that I'm working with and those servers are in California. So what does it matter if I'm physically present in a cube farm to do all of that? So right now I'm in uh, two days in the office and three days out of the office, which is close enough for jazz and government work right now. But as far as writing and work and life, I mean, you know, everything shut down for a little while, but aside from that, nothing really changed for us. Okay, that's cool to hear. Yeah, I know some writers had it rough because they uh, they just didn't have the inspiration. Me, I was just too busy to even have the time to sit down and do it because, um, well, things slow down for some people. Life just kind of sped up for me, and I'm really excited because um, I'm really kind of getting into it, not just with this podcast, but with my writing and reading again. I really get time to sit down and read. Um, and again, I'm excited to read Henchman because I actually have the time to sit down and read Henchman. <laughs> and so that is really something I'm looking forward to checking out that um, and the following two books. Um, I think. You said there's a fourth one? So yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure that, when is that coming out? Do you have like a, a time frame uh, for when that's coming out? I actually have to start writing it and then finish writing it. So it's gonna be probably a couple of years before it comes out. I'm still trying to figure out how do I take everything that happened at the end of the third book and have it play out in a, a logical way so it doesn't sound completely contrived. That makes sense to me, yeah. Especially when it wasn't like, originally plotted out, you really got to take your time so it doesn't suffer from like um, sequel syndrome. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. How long of a series do you want it to be? Like, are you thinking like seven books, eight books, or you're just like, I didn't even plan a fourth one. I don't plan like this far out. Uh, it will probably end at the fourth. I think that everything could be tied up and all of the loose ends put in place and I don't want to drag it out forever. Uh, you know, you could have them go off on adventures, but that's not really all that interesting to me. I had a, a primary story in mind of what I wanted them to do, and 
you know, henchman leads into the actual primary story. So it's really an introduction to the characters. And then Arise sets up what happens throughout the rest of the series and Transmute gets them into kind of the nasty place. And then whatever the last one winds up being called will be the final story. And I was, I was tentatively kind of call it Glima, but that's a really obscure word that probably most people wouldn't catch. And just in case you're wondering, that is the name of the Viking martial arts. And it means literally in a flash. And Glima consisted largely of throwing people on the ground and then stabbing them in the head. Yes. <clears throat> Definitely in a flash. Yeah. Wow. That's so neat. How many martial arts do you know? I just have to ask. Like, how many have you learned about or how many have you, like, practiced? Um, I've studied Shodinjido which is old school Okinawan karate. Um, Kenpo, which is kind of a martial arts sausage mixed with American influences and Japanese influences and Chinese influences. And it was born in Hawaii, so it wouldn't surprise me if there was some Pacific Islander stuff that kind of got mixed into it. And then all kinds of other things got thrown into it. So it's, it's really just a mixed bag. Um, I've studied a little bit of Kenjutsu, which is uh, Japanese sword fighting. And I did Taekwondo for a couple of weeks and I've got pretty short legs. So, you know, they're all kicking and I just wasn't, it was not for me. Holy cow. Yeah, that's, that's some extensive stuff. You are hardcore. Like, I mean, have you thought about being a vigilante? Like putting on a costume and going into the streets? <laughs> like that, uh, uh, no, but Al <clears throat> Albuquerque would be the perfect place to do it. We've got a, a lot of crime that could be fought out here. I feel like that's, I mean, it's, it's all fiction, and in reality, you legally couldn't get away with it. Oh, no. But I feel like that would be kind of awesome. <laughs> You'd probably get gunned down in a blaze of lead the first time you tried to do anything anyway. Everybody right. around is armed and crazy. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Oh, actually... One other question I have for you um, about the martial art thing. Do you have a favorite, like like a Steven Seagal, Chuck Norris, Bruce Lee, Jet Li? Like, like who's your martial artist guy? Uh, I like Jet Li. Um, Tony Jaw has done some pretty amazing stuff. Uh, Michelle Yeoh has done some really amazing work as well. Uh, I don't really necessarily think I have a favorite. I mean, they all do what they do, and they do it really well. So... I, I really just enjoy martial arts movies, to tell you the truth. Even yes. though I know they're most of the time pretty unrealistic, but they are a lot of fun to watch. Well, I mean, it's it's that's life, you know. I love the fantastical stuff. I'm personally, I, I I realize that they can't fly, and they can't run for tree branches, <laughs> and like a lot of the crouching tiger hidden dragon stuff was mostly stream work and, and right. good timing. But, um, yeah, that was classic wuxia, which is apparently, it's a genre of writing in China that is all based on, you know, some magical aspect and kung fu people flying around. And I want to say Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was based on a classic wuxia, but I cannot remember the name of it right now. But it was one that it had, uh, it was a long series. So kind of crazy. Huh. Well, you know what? That's something to look into. And uh, if you look into it and you want to share it, post it on social media and I'll, I'll retweet it. 
because uh, I'd like to see more about that because that was actually one of my uh, one of my favorites. Um, and of course, the soundtrack was a spectacular piece, but the story was was very beautiful. Um, but uh, yeah, I um, just want to say thank you um, thank for you. joining me and having a conversation with me. And I'm going to post the links for your website, your blog, your uh, Amazon, everything. Everyone have a check it out. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with. And I hope everyone appreciates your stories because the Henchman series, as far as, so far as I've read it, uh, the characters are fun. Um, they've all got their varying personalities. Uh, this lady is a hoot. So <laughs> I'm looking forward um, to learning more about the henchmen and learning more about Eve, you're the main character. And just please, everyone, enjoy henchmen. And, and thank you, uh, Eric, for being um, on my show, being part of the conversation. Well, thank you very much for having me. I hope you have a great day. It's been, a, it's been great. As soon as you got everything up and ready, let me know. I'm happy to retweet it. And get some uh get some more people out there for you because it's been a great experience for me thank you i'm glad to hear that awesome i love positive feedback but anyway <laughs> hope you have a wonderful day and, and thank you so much thank you i hope you have a great day too thank you. all right bye bye all right well Another great episode. Um, it was nice talking to Eric, and um, I, I loved getting into you know more detail about henchmen, uh, martial arts. I I've always been fascinated by martial arts, so it's always cool to meet someone who um, you know knows that stuff. Because I mean, I could I could have had a longer conversation with him about it. I didn't want to go crazy in the detail, like all the different styles, um, all the different you know techniques the various differences between one and the other um i've i've watched so many karate kung fu martial arts movies when i was a kid growing up it's jackie chan jet lee i mean it's jet lee has always been one of my favorites uh bruce lee is of course you know a legend um chuck norris i mean who who doesn't appreciate a chuck norris movie also but anyway um so i you know of course, I didn't. I didn't geek out talking about this stuff too much. Um, I didn't mention Star Trek. I was kind of amazed uh, with myself that I didn't even ask him the question, "Do you enjoy Star Trek?" And I think that um, if I continue to go to meetings, um, Trek's anonymous. <laughs> I, I, I might. I might actually be able to uh, not in, not involve that in any of my future. <laughs> podcast i'm kidding i'm kidding uh, I, I would never stop talking on star trek um but anyway i hope you all enjoyed this um podcast and listen to um future podcasts uh of course please likes shares subscriptions um subscribe retweet um everything i really appreciate your support uh every time you you watch um, and you share, you support everyone that's come in the show and future ones to come to the show. Um, thank you so much. But check out Eric's website, www.ericlati.com. Um, that's Eric, E-R-I-C, Lati, L-A-H, 
ti.com and check out his books the henchman series the clock man the complete saxton greetings from sunny aluna roadside attractions better than dead absolutely great guy um nice talking to him um i look forward to sharing more about his writing adventures and his plans as um as we proceed further and we get more out of him but anyway have a wonderful day everybody thank you for listening i appreciate you you're awesome thank you so much until next time